Hello and welcome to The Planet Today. It is Monday, March 6th, 2023. Here on TPT, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with producer and co-host, Nick Chanusa. Nick, what is going on, my man? Matt, not too much, my man. Had a great weekend. What about you? What'd you do? It was our last regular season game for our winter league playoffs are next week. So if you're listening to this, everyone wish me luck. It's a, a very <laughs> non-serious winter league that we have a lot of fun with. Uh, but hey, we, we got a medal last year. I want another medal for first place. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Um, I was actually just thinking the other day about like how we did the MHL. Oh my gosh. Like we, we, we created like a hockey league, like in our town, it was only like our friends. It wasn't like a big thing, but I, it was like the most fun I've ever had playing a sport. And I just think like, I think intramural sports are more fun than like the real thing. I think there's no question on that. I think part of that is that three of us knew how to skate. I was not one of them. And we would just like <laughs> check each other into the boards. Like it was just, it was just a way to get the testosterone flowing. That was hardly hockey. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, dude. Yeah. But it was still so much fun. Like I'll never forget that stuff. That was so good. Absolutely. Almost as much fun as this episode's going to be. How about that segue? Let's get into it. Before we get started, we have a quick word from one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. All right, we have two stories for you today. The first one is by Paige Browning of KUOW, who writes REI to stop selling clothes, cookware with forever chemicals. If you have listened to TPT for a while, you might remember the phrase forever chemicals, also known as PFAS, PFAS, or PER and polyfluoral alkyl substances. Um, also, if you are a longtime listener of TPT, you will know that I realize you're supposed to pronounce that differently every single time we talk about this. <laughs> First time I was like PFAs, and then I was like PFAS. Uh, apparently, PFAS is the is like the way that people say that out loud. <laughs> anyway, per and polyfluoral alkyl substances are chemicals that are used for waterproofing, stain proofing, and they're commonly used in cookware. This article references a 2022 study by Toxic Free Future that found PFAS in more than 70% of items sold as waterproof or stainproof in the U.S. last year. They're nicknamed Forever Chemicals because they do not break down naturally over time. Toxic Free Future has been lobbying REI for the last 18 months to phase out these products from their stores, and it resulted in REI announcing in February that all cookware and apparel sold by the company will be free of PFAS by fall of 2024. 
the only caveat there is for professional apparel for expedition. Um, and the goal is to phase out the forever chemicals by 2026 for that one. And that's just because look, if you are currently climbing a mountain like Mount Everest, where it is snowy, it's cold, Mm. you're going to get wet. We cannot afford to have that gear be any less useful than it is right now. So they're giving more of a, a period of time to make sure that once those chemicals are phased out, the gear is still adequate and that people aren't going to get really sick or injured or worse while on expeditions. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely a good precaution to take for sure. Mm -hmm. So Mike Shade of Toxic Free Future is also hopeful that REI's decision can inspire other companies to do the same. Toxic Free Future is also lobbying Dick's Sporting Goods to ban PFAS. Shade's quote is saying something that I actually wanted to bring up here. REI is one of the largest and most significant retailers in the outdoor industry. So as an outdoor company, as a company that is focused on sustainability, as a company that profits off of people loving nature and using REI products to experience nature, it makes total sense for REI to make this stand against forever chemicals. And I think it would be extremely hypocritical to say, we want you to go outside and the best way to get outside is to use our gear, our clothes, our cookware while you're camping. Oh, and some of that contains stuff that's going to make the outdoor experience worse over time. Mm -hmm. So it's really good to see them saying, yeah, by the end of next year, we will have no more forever chemicals in the clothes or the cookware that you're going to be buying here to go experience the outdoors. Yeah. It's kind of like unintentional greenwashing. Yeah. Because it's their their whole thing is like you know outdoors nature you know like we're we're gonna fuel you to get outdoors and like and experience you know your surroundings and all that stuff and then like to have something that is like you said harmful to to nature and to mm-hmm. to people is is a major major red flag and I'm glad that they actually addressed it which is becoming more and more like uncommon for companies to do yeah the the thing for me is that. You know, like I, I'm a longtime member of REI and when I go there, it's because I want gear that's going to last gear that I'm not going to need to replace all the time. And I'm trying to be mm-hmm. more sustainable by getting good products. When I shop at a store like that, that has environmental values at their core, you know, I don't want to have to think about my purchases mm-hmm. because I, I want to be able to trust them the way that I trust like a Patagonia, for example. That was the exact place my mind yeah. went first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I want to go to a store that's so focused on getting people outdoors safely and correctly and in the best gear that's going to last forever and you won't have to worry about it ending up in a landfill. It's nice to now know that by the end of next year, we won't also have to worry about chemicals from them or specifically forever chemicals from them when making these purchases. Yeah, 100%. And the article also points out that there are some alternatives like paraffin waxes, which are safer for the environment. Other alternatives pose their own environmental threats. So we'll have to see which route is taken starting next year. Yeah, and and Nick and I are no experts when it comes to waterproofing or stainproofing or making cookware. (laughs) So I'm not going to speculate. I'm just going to hope that, you know, if paraffin waxes, like this article points out, are safer for the environment, that sounds good to me. Maybe we'll find something better. Uh, if, if, you know, if there is something very pressing that comes up, we'll talk about it on this show. 
REI has taken a stance against toxic substances before, so this isn't totally unprecedented for them. In 2008, REI, along with Nalgene, pulled tens of thousands of water bottles off of their shelves because they contain the toxic chemical BPA. And now whenever you go buy an algae and you'll see that little sticker on it, BPA free. Yeah, we're, we're not um, waterproof experts, but polyurethane, does that make something waterproof? It might. I don't know. That's a story for next week. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I've just watched like too many how to how it's made episodes on the science channel. So I'm just I'm, I'm just assuming that polyurethane is a waterproofing thing. Anyway, let's get into our next story from NPR, where Jacqueline Jeffrey Walensky writes Dead whales on the East Coast fuel misinformation about offshore wind development. This is a really important article. It's a really important topic. And that's because we need to remember that the fossil fuel industry can make a lot more money if they are able to delay the renewable transition. Similarly, people who just aren't fans of renewables, they can kind of get their way if they are able to say, hey, this issue that you're seeing now, whatever it is, is because of renewable energy. Mm -hmm. So when 12 whales wash up along New York and New Jersey's beaches in three months, it provides an opportunity for opponents of offshore wind to plant some doubt. Yeah. And some protesters have been calling for an end to offshore wind development. And they're claiming that the sound of the boats and underwater surveying might be confusing the whales. The issue is that there's absolutely no evidence behind this claim. The Marine Mammal Commission, a federal agency that protects marine mammals, said that these deaths are nothing new, nor are they unique to the U.S. Atlantic coast. This article goes on to publish the transcript of Mary Louise Kelly's interview with Jacqueline Jeffrey Walensky, and some of the key takeaways are as follows. NOAA has been tracking unusual mortality events since 2016, and typically what they see is whales that have been either struck by ships or tangled in fishing nets. Experts say there is not a connection between these whale deaths and offshore wind. Some protesters claim to be environmentalists, but others are just anti-wind energy, and they're using the whales as kind of a convenient reason to protest. And finally, some experts say climate change is a reason that the whales could be dying and washing ashore. Yeah, and it's worth noting that Governor Murphy of New Jersey says the offshore wind work will continue, that this won't stop it. Yeah, and, and that's good you know, like it's it's a good thing when you have the federal government or state government saying, no, we're going to continue along with this plan because we need to decarbonize. And a couple of bad actors who are saying that, hey, this is because of wind when it's not. Yeah. Or when it appears to not be based on the scientific organizations that are studying this, you know, we can't let them derail the progress that we need to decarbonize. Yeah. Something that I was reading, I forget when, and I, I couldn't find the article based on this search because it's super broad. There was a couple a couple whales that washed ashore several months ago, and in all of their stomachs was just tons of plastic. Mm. And we can't say for certain that the plastic was the cause of death, but you got to think that if your stomach's getting full of something that provides no nutrients— Right. You're going to starve to death even though you feel full. And that's the problem with plastic pollution, you know, once it gets into the ecosystems. This article didn't bring that up, but like I would think that that's more of a concern for people who who care about whales than offshore wind. 
Yeah, 100%. And I'm wondering, and I don't know if this exists or not, but I'm wondering if there's like scientists that perform like whale autopsies just so we can see like, you know, what if there is like a laceration on like the, the middle of their stomach and like they were struck by a ship or, you know, whatever it is. And then we could say definitively like, no, this is not just a result of wind energy or anything like that. It's a result of, you know, X, Y, and Z. But I don't know if that exists or not, so... Yeah, I, to be honest, I don't know the methodology. Like, I don't know how they were able to conclude that, you know, they were struck by ships. But my, my guess is that there's some severe bruising or something that leads scientists to say, yeah, this is the result of a ship strike. Because they're not just going to say that without some sort of backing. So right, you're on the right track for sure. Yeah, hopefully we get some some answers to that. But Yeah, and, and the other thing that I wanted to bring up is like the, the whole thing with planning an offshore wind farm is that you need to make sure it's not going to impact mammal migrations, you know, or, or impact endangered species. So there's all these environmental impact assessments that go on before wind energy is put offshore. It's not like you can just say, Hey, we want wind here. Let's go put some turbines. Let's do it. Yeah, exactly. So with all of those precautions in place, is that going to be a hundred percent successful? Probably not. Is it going to be very close Yes, because there are so many steps along the way for people to weigh in that you you can't really skip steps, especially when you have the fossil fuel industry paying lobbyists to say, no, we don't want renewable energy offshore. Yeah. So it's not like this is going to be the easiest process of all time. And it's not like you can skip over these things that say, actually, there is no well migration pattern that's going to go through where we're putting this wind farm. So yeah, I'm not going to say that every single one that's ever been put up is a hundred percent successful in avoiding whales, but pretty close. Yeah, absolutely. They've done their due diligence. Let's say that. Yeah. At least we hope, <laughs> you know, like there's, there's, there's yeah, probably true. some that might've fallen through at some point, but no, for the most part, like they need to do their due diligence and it's up to, the courts and and planning boards to say, hey, you need to do this. Right. And you need to do it right. Yeah. All right. That will do it for today's episode of TPT. It's a shorter one, about half as long as our usual episodes on Fridays. So please share the show with a friend if you liked what you heard today. We're going to be back on Friday for our regularly scheduled programming. But until then, go follow the show on our socials at Planet Today Pod for more TPT. I am Matt Norton. I'm Nick Janusa. And we will see you on Friday. Peace.